Cut. Oh, fucking cut. Now I'm gonna go buy, no, I'm, no, I'm gonna go purchase one. That's the problem. This this ain't for me. Well, I was like, you know, the background is mom and dad was addicted to crack cocaine. Okay. Right? All praises to the most high. Hi, how are you? Welcome to another episode of the Doc Holiday Show where we love to uplift black men. Black woman, black teen, black child, black royalty, and today I am joined with another black royal, black brother, my my guy, Hebrew, Travis King. What up, brother? What's going on, brother? Thank you for inviting me over here. I love it. Man, I'm just glad to have you here, man. First of all, bro, I know you, man. Just just tell the world a little bit about yourself, Travis King, where you from, man, a little bit about your upbringing and your history. Man, uh, Travis King, I'm born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, currently living in Atlanta. Uh, went to Kirby High School, grew up in Walker Homes and Hickory Hill. Uh, proud Memphian, but, you know, lived all over the United States and uh, been in sports, basketball, management, and marketing for over 25 years. Now, talking about that, man, how did you get into that? Let, let, let's go back to Travis King and Walker Holmes growing up in Hickory Hill, man. Talk about that that upbringing. Because we know inner city Memphis, any inner city can be a little tough. So talk yeah. about that upbringing a little bit. Nah, man, it, you know, I uh, I was blessed. I think I'm a, I'm a unique person in the sense that, you know, I was born and my entire family's from Walker Holmes and went to Mitchell. Uh, my dad had a vision. Uh, he was always a visionary. And, uh, you know, when I was seven, they had came up with a new neighborhood out in Hickory Hill called Ridgeway Estates, and he was a builder, so he had opportunity to get a half-price house, moved us from Walker Homes, which I hated because, you know, at the time, I think we were one of two black families that moved to Hickory Hill. So I was, you know, I went from Walker Homes to Hickory Hill, which was 100% black to 100% white, and uh, it really changed me, but I think it's really what built me to my core because it allowed me to be able to deal with multiple type people. But also, you know, it kind of gave me an edge because now when I came out, I had to fight in Hickory Hill uh, because of the racism. And then when I go back to Walker Homes, now I'm the, you know, the uh, Carlton Banks. Yeah, I'm the, I'm yeah, the, but the white black side. So, yeah, 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 so now I got to go back and let them know, now nah, it's still Walker Homes what it is. But, no, nah, man, I, uh, you know, I went to Kirby and played basketball my entire time. Was blessed enough to play uh, AAU with Penny Hardaway, Randy Carter, Corey Beck, Dwight Stewart, and those guys. Um, went to Southern University on a basketball scholarship. And while there, me and my best friend, um, William Anderson, who's currently the AD yeah. at Lemoyne Owen College, uh, 1994, we were blessed enough to receive one of 20 Nike elite youth programs when they granted them to start this whole thing that you see now which is the EYB and Peach Jam that started in 94. Uh, we were 23 years old, and uh, Willie Gregory from Nike, actually, yeah. uh, our OG, gave us that deal and you know kind of propelled us into the, the management angle. Will chose to be a college coach and an AD, and I was a little more rough around the edges and not as corporate So at the time, so I chose to go uh, the sports management agent route. Now, talking about sports management and agents, you, you've had your hands on a lot of different people who have been in a lot of different settings. Now, and I tell people now, people will see, oh, man, you know, you're in the sports agency, man, you're around all these athletes. They see all that shine, but they don't, right. they don't see all that rust right. that you have to go through in order to get that, that man. Mud. Just, yeah, that mud, for real, man. Yeah, man, it was muddy. I mean, uh, you know, I remember a time that there were guys, I tried to sign guys uh, for 
first when I got the deal, I thought it was going to be easy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I grew up playing ball. I know everybody. And uh, guys that I actually coached wouldn't even give me a chance to represent them. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of mud. You know, it was a lot of basketball games, high school games, driving up and down the highway, getting doors slammed in your face. And uh, fortunately, I had um, Amari Stoudemire, uh, six-time All-Star, that moved in with me. Uh, as well as Sean Williams, uh, a 10-year NBA vet. And they actually, you know, gave me, a op- made me my first opportunity to be their managers and work with the agency they work with. Uh, and that started in 2002. So I'll praise the most high. You know, it's been 19 years on that. And, you know, I'm proud to say I've had 22 guys drafted that I've worked with and, uh, you know, negotiated over five, $600 million in NBA contracts, negotiated the largest a Nike contract for any center in the history of Nike. So, you know, I've been blessed in it. But it, it definitely, you know, that didn't come without getting doors slammed in my face, you know, eating peanut butter and bologna sandwiches a lot, you know, and I started with a family early in life. So, you know, I had people, to, I had to feed kids and ex-wife or wife at the time. And so, yeah, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of mud, man. But, and still, even when you get there, you know, it's still one of those situations you can uh, sometimes get too boastful and, and, and the most high can thump you on your head and, uh, you know, lost clients and felt like, man, you know, I'm up, I'm, you know, now I'm down, but back up. So, you know, I always learn just to remain humble. And if you stay true to what you are, it always works itself out. Now, your, if, if I'm low, your lowest point, what would you consider to be your lowest point? And not only that, and how did you get up out of that? Because it happens and it's going to come, but it's on us to have faith and trust and get up out of there. Well, honestly, uh, my lowest point, I can give you the exact days, uh, July 13th, July 14th, 2018, um, I was going through it, and it was crazy because at the highest point, right the year before, I had 11 NBA clients. Most I had ever had, four of them were coming up for contracts, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there adding up my commissions. I'm looking at $4 million in commissions along with my salary for the next four years. Mm-hmm. Just bought you know another house, cars, I got everything I want. And I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm, you know, hey, I'm headed to, to my goal of 25, 30 million. And it's crazy how things happen because indirectly, I had nothing to do with it, but uh, the president and CEO of our agency at the time, and we were number one agency in the world. You hear about CAA, you hear about Clutch, you hear about, excuse me, Excel now. But at the time, we were the number one sports agency in the world. We had 56 NBA players, eight All-Stars. We had 300 baseball players, 12 All-Stars. We had 150 NFL players, uh, powerhouse. Mm-hmm. But it was chaos. And then what happened was uh, above our pay grade, the CEO and the president were both alpha males, and they got into rich boy wars. Yeah. So the company splits. So now our 50-plus clients go halfway, go half and go half. And I chose to go with a certain direction. And once we go that direction, we're still the powerhouse. But immediately, this guy started playing rich boy games with the new investor. Hey, we're going to leverage this, and we're going we're gonna to leverage, and all of us are going to get great deals. We're in great position. 
Well, guess what? They fired him. So now we split from 25 to 10. And we're in a two-and-a-half-year lawsuit suing each other for $30 million. Now, I say each other. We're just agents. Yeah. We're low on the totem pole in the scheme of things. So all of that, and at the time, those same four guys that are coming up for contracts are like, bro, I rock with you, but every day we look up in USA Today and all this, and it's something else. It's not stable. I need some stability. This is my deal for me to feed my family. And literally, Doc, I went from all those clients to my final two. I went from 13 to two. And at the same time, I got a divorce that year. I filed for divorce. So now my two young kids are gone. I'm going through a divorce where I lose a million dollars. And I lose $4 million in potential earnings based off of somebody else's behavior. So July 13, 14, at the first point in my life, and I've been hustling since I started selling vegetables on King and Walker Road, and I didn't know what was going on and know how to solve it. And the one thing, those were the two worst days of my life, and I called my best friend, William, Jared. I called all my circle of confidence. Nobody could give me an answer. And I called my elder from my church, my pastor, and he said, and he's real no nonsense. He said, hey, brother, you got it worse than Job? I said, what you mean? Nah, do you have it worse than Job? I said, nah. He said, read Job, because if you feel like you got it worse than Job, then you got a problem. But if you don't, dust yourself off, get in your book, and get back together. And I hadn't had a bad day since then. And the minute I did that, I think I started reading seven chapters of Job each day for about five days and boom a client came in out of nowhere then another one then another one and it was like just like the most high took everything from job killed his kids killed all his cattle he's the richest guy in the world but he stayed true to his faith and then he multiplied it by 10 and restored it so you know that was probably the lowest point and now it's just like that story you know it's another rise up you know I, I pray every day that you know I continue to rise and I, you know I don't don't go to those levels. All praises to the Most High, man. Heck yes, of a sir. story, man. I'm, I'm right there with you now. You come in contact and get your hand on a lot of young royals, man. You know who who have all these aspirations and these dreams who really don't know how life works. Because I say, you know, when you're an athlete, man, you got to learn about some financial literacy. Learn about that stuff yourself because you're just thinking about that. What is some of the advice you give? Because I'm pretty sure you had your hand on a lot of us. No question. You know what I'm saying? So what's some advice and some kind of guidance that you try to give them? Man? Well, once they get into the league, I can tell you, last summer, uh, DJ Stewart, one of my clients that played at Mississippi State, is with the Miami Heat and Sioux Falls um, right now. We sat down. We were in Miami. And we just I, – I took a piece of paper out. I sat him, his cousin who lives with him, his manager. We sat down at the table. I said, put $2 million dollars said, that's probably what your contract's going to look like. It's a lot of money, right? He come from college. What's that? He doesn't have a checking account. He doesn't have anything that did it. So 90, probably 95% of the kids, Doc, when they sign to go with an agent, go to the NBA, don't have credit, don't have a credit card, don't have a checkbook, don't even have a bank account. 
So can you imagine not having what you say financial literacy and you go from that to $2 million? Yeah. So I put it down. And this is just a simple program just to get them to understand money. I said, you got $2 million. You rich, ain't it? Yeah, okay, all right. We're not going to talk about your rookie starter kit, which is, to me, a place to stay, a, a, a jewelry, you know, or at least a watch or a chain so you can stay a car something for your parents. That's just the rookie starter kit. Let's don't talk about that first. Two million. I said, guess what? Now you're in a different tax bracket. Because they ain't never filed taxes. Yeah. I said, okay, two million, you're in a 45% tax bracket. Facts. So, boom, let's put 45 on there. So, boom, 45% of two million, that's 800,000. Take that off. He said, huh? What I do with that? Now nah, they go, you write a check. Yeah. I said, so now you're down to 1.2 million. Okay? All right, I said, now that's... Federal income tax. I said, if you stay in New York or L.A. or my, I said, now you got another twelve percent. So I said, okay, you got you got one point two left, twelve percent. Take another hundred off. You got one point one. I said, okay, that's all the taxes. I said, now what kind of car are you gonna get? I said, now what kind of car are you gonna get? Man, I want a Range Rover. You gonna buy it? Or you gonna lease it? Well, I want to buy it. Okay, cool. So now you got no credit, so you're going to go in there and put $40,000 down. Cool. Got your Range Rover. I said, what you going to – let's say you get yourself a Rolex and one chain. Let's say it's 15000 okay. Cool. You're still a millionaire. Now, where are you going to stay? Well, I want to get me, you know, nice house. I said, nah, you ain't want to get a house. Ticket has to get traded. But let's just say, for instance, you live in L.A. and New York. To get you a two-bedroom, two-bath with a, a concierge, just a nice, safe place, you're at about 10000 a month. 10000 Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's $100,000. Yeah. So now you're down to nine hundred. I said, okay, now you got to have clothes. Because when you go on the trip, LeBron and them going to Gucci, Prada, all mm -hmm. that, you can't keep up with them. But at no. least let's just say you got to buy you some suits. You got to buy you some stuff to wear nice tux. Yeah. Let's just say. Custom spend, too. Yeah, tailor yeah, too. Yeah, you got to wear a tailor. Yeah. yeah. I said, okay, let's just say that's another 50000 Got to eat, right? I said, now, you, you know, you ain't chains every day. You're going to be going with these guys. Okay. So, see, about 800 You ain't bought your mama nothing. Then I said, you like girls, don't you? Yeah. Got a girlfriend now. So, that means now you have uh, what they call an NBA female tax. Okay. Facts, well, though. Now, this, yeah. now, this, now, this tax might be the biggest tax yeah, you got. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Don't have a bad habit in gamble, women, or drugs. Any of them three going to take you out. Mm -hmm. But let's just say, you know, you got your female tax. By the time we went down to it, you still ain't about your mama none. You ain't about your mama. What you want? I want to get them a house. You sure? Yeah, I want to get them a house. I said, man, by the end of the year, when I got down to it, he had 120000 I said, man, he said, man, I'm broke. I said, exactly. I said, so you have to understand that that money is something serious. And until you get that second deal, you have to still live like you broke. You have to live below your means. And that's just not you. That's everybody in society. Because the guy that makes 100000 a year, that went from forty thousand can do be broke. He can be, you know, broke too, mm -hmm. if he's trying to live like he a hundred thousand instead of forty thousand. So I just try to sit him down and give him reality, man. 
I don't try to sugarcoat it because at the end of the day, you know, if they jack their money off, they're looking for somebody to blame. Good thing about an agent, like I tell them, I never do anything but make you money. Your financial planner can lose you money. Yeah. I'm going to make you money. Or take it. They can be lose it or take, <laughs> or take it. it. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and that's where that's where the checks and balances come in. All I'm going to do is help you make it, and I'm going to tell you when you're wrong, and you can, you're can you a grown person. Like Amari, and I give you the last thing, when we signed a deal with the Knicks in 2010 for $100 million, and then we had $30 million coming um, from his Nike deal, which was a lot of money now, but a lot of money back then. Yeah. First thing he wanted to do, and it just came out, uh, DJ Khaled did the video. He had the drop-top Maybach Londolette. He said, man, Colin ordered me that. I'm like, cool. He deserved it. Yeah. I called the cars $1.2 million. So he, we go our daily mean, you ordered the car? I said, no. Why not? So you're not getting that car. Hold up, man. You work for me. Yeah, I know. I'm also your big brother. I'm not ordering that car. Man, you better order. The, I'm not better do nothing. You'll fire me. I said, now here goes the $400,000 62S Maybach. Look at it. It's just as clean. But it's not a drop top. Who cares? You living in New York. How I many you only going to be able to drop the top two months out of the year? <laughs> Facts, yeah. And he bought it, but my thing was I stood on it. I'm one never going to be a yes. Go ahead. Let's cool. Yeah. You ain't going to go broke on my watch. Yeah. That's not what we're going to do. So. Yeah. Great facts. Now, even just dealing with athletes, you still you have young men, young royals. I'm telling, I'll tell young women looking up to you, coming to you for advice. And I think you feel the way I feel, man. Looking at because we look at sports and entertainment. A lot of us think we got to be smart. Nah, bro, we we were inventors. We did a lot of things yeah. before we started playing sports. But that's no another question. conversation. But the state that we're in right now, because I just want to pivot, Luke. Mm. Hey, man. How we doing one another in the state of the black community right now? I say it all the time. I said, bro, we got to police ourselves, man. We got to do something about this because, you know, both of us from Memphis and, you know, yeah. this whole thing with, with Dolphin, what he, what happened. Now, it's sad when any of us get murdered and killed or something Dolphin. like that. Yeah, yeah. well, RIP. But to see this happen, man, just, bro, how frustrating as it is to you because it's infuriating to me. Man, I – uh I, I could have probably said that's one of the lowest points of my life. Uh, crazy thing is in 2016, Dolph and I were in L.A. campaign, had a party at a house, and I was out on the patio smoking a cigar, reading my Bible. Dolph came and sat down, and we chopped it up on the book for two and a half hours. And every time I saw him from that point, every time he said, oh, gee, man, we got to get back in that book. I said, I'm ready when you are. Mm -hmm. So when the news came, I literally stopped. Will Anderson, I was over his house, he ran out almost just tears and rage. They killed off, they killed. I said, what? It can't be. Then it just hit the wire and, and I just couldn't believe it, man. And, and, and the thing is, Doc, we as a people, we are in a sad state, man. And it hurts my heart because as it was written, See, we understand mm -hmm. where all this is coming from. And the thing is, it can be prevented, but when you try to tell people, see, I never hold what's going on in our community to the hand of a white person, yeah. whether it's a policeman or whether it was 
you know, the situation in Georgia, them killing those people are just doing their job and part of prophecy, mm -hmm. right? So I'm never going to do that. What I am going to hold to the hand is Israel, Hebrews, mm -hmm. African Americans. Yeah. Because we in this situation, if you read Deuteronomy based off of us not doing our job and doing what we were supposed to do, you always chastise your children more and put it wood on them more than you put on someone else's mm -hmm. children. So at the end of the day, when we sit here and look at it now, and we are in this state, I'm going to tell you how backers we are as a people. I will go on Facebook every time somebody gets killed. When a three-year-old kid got killed in Chicago, and I say, well, where is the march? Yeah. I say, does our life only matter when it's taken at the hand of a white person? Why are we not marching and on these gangs and on these treacherous terrorists in our neighborhood for killing our kids and killing our elders for no reason? Why don't we go march on that and stand on it? Oh, man, here you go selling out, man. Every time it ain't about that. It's Black Lives Matter something else. How? Yeah. How? We oh let a white person kill a black kid oh man we are gonna dust off our dashikis we gonna come down there with the signs we gonna be ready to whoop somebody we gonna stand up until they send in national we gonna get three days till they send in national guards and then we gonna go inside and it's gonna be over with it's the same thing every time man so but when you say this kid just got killed in Fraser the same day Dolph got killed I had a former classmate R I P Ernest Haddon that was murdered. And there were three other killings that day by black folks. Mm -hmm. Why we ain't marching now? Please explain that to me. Mm -hmm. Why are we not marching when we kill our own? It's accepted. But let one of these policemen or one of these rednecks kill us. Now we got Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Ben Crump, and I appreciate all those brothers. But that's when they showing up. But we ain't going to go get down there and march on the people at the GDs, uh, Vice Lords, and I got friends and all them, yeah. and Trula Mafia and Memphis. We ain't fixing to go bring no smoke there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But the biggest gangs are the police. We going to be ready to go out there and, and, and talk about this and fall out and all that, but we not going to do nothing but go put a GoFundMe page up, put the T-shirts on, and then as soon as they put them in the ground, it's, it's back to business. And I got a problem with that, Doc. Now, I, I'm totally with you, man. I say I say the same thing. I've been saying it for 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 years, even before I know who we truly are, which are the Brews, which are the Hebrews, which are the children of Israel. Even before no I question. knew that, no I'm question. like, hold on, bro. You know, we can't, because both of us grew up in the inner city. Both of us grew up in the hood. Both of us got partners and friends and family who, who in all different kind of gangs. No question. They selling dope still. Murderers, robbers. But now, at an older age, you like, hold on, bro. That shit ain't cool. At all. That ain't what it is, bro. We have to hold each other accountable. And like you said, R.I.P. Dolph, I hate that happened. But there were other murders of, of that day that we was killing one another. And yeah. it happens like me and Cassie was talking to two young ladies who just got killed. On Elvis Presley at the, at the gas station. Yeah. Like, hold on, you young fellas just popped up and just sprayed the whole, you know. And But you right. <laughs> A lot of these dudes and a lot of these young cats out here, man, they 
They on monster mode, bro. We was talking that talking about that before we started uh, recording. Monster mode. They monster mode, and the thing is, can't whoop a fly. Mm-mm. Since we came up, you had a problem with somebody. You drew the line. You pulled your shirt off, and you scrapped. I done took some whoopings. Mm-hmm. I done dealt some out. But we lived to see another day. Yeah. And then, if it was pistol play, it was a six shooter. And that was only coming up between me and you. I ain't about to spray the building. Mm-hmm. Now, young boys, I don't even think they know how to fight. I don't think none of them have ever been in a fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Never been in a fight. So now they'd rather just go to the car, or they already got it on them, and put the pistol on you. I was out last night, man. I ain't going to name the place. I was out last night at a place I've been going to for 30 years that's downtown that's safe. That's I thought was a safe haven, right? Everybody I was kicking it with before that, man, we going in. I'm man, I'm I'm in town, man. I'm hanging out tonight. I ain't ready to go to sleep. I'm gonna go down here and have one more cocktail. I go to the safe haven. It's I'm at the bar getting a drink. I feel some pressure behind me. What's going on? Now 70 people. In this peaceful, low-key spot, arguing, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, let go outside. Man, you can get your little funky $200. So $200, now I go, now security, hey, man, they got Dracos outside standing across the street. For $200, man. $200. And I talked to somebody the other day that's a gang leader because I wanted to try to get the gang leaders together to talk to the mayor. And he put me up on gang. OG said, man, you realize all these other cities, gangs are recruiting Memphis young kids and gangs to be hitmen. I said, hold on, what? He said, yeah. They know that the most grimiest kids now to come get, to bring outside hitters in are from Memphis. So they're recruiting our boys. Ask me what they paying them, Doc, to go murder somebody and bring them out of town like they assassins. We used to hear about Pablo Escobar yeah. and all these guys flying. Guess what they are paying our young boys to come in town to do it for? $500? $2,500. $2,500. They are recruiting. And, 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 you know, the sad thing is, uh, me, I think it was me, Curtis Gibbons, Penny, we was talking about this other day. When I came out in 91, 90, 91, 92, 89, Memphis, the uh, Shelby County Schools, Memphis City Schools back then, at the time we were producing – Consistently 15 to 20 Division One college basketball mm-hmm. players a year. Last year there was only five from Memphis, and they all played in the private schools. There was not one Division One player in the Shelby County school system. They said, "Well, they all going to private school." Well, there was only five there. So where they at, Travis? I said, "The kids we used to call what we used to call them, dogs. Mm-hmm. Now you a dog, yeah. North Memphis, South Memphis, Orange Mound. Now you a dog. You come out of there." Now, they don't even play sports. They ain't going to school. They in the games. Mm-hmm. They getting money. Now, and they getting flown out of town to kill somebody for 2500 to do hits. That's where, our, that's where our cold basketball players are now. They are being recruited. They don't even get to play basketball anymore. And that's sad, bro. And, and, and the state that you say we losing our boys for somebody recruiting them to go out of town to murder somebody for $2,500. How do we turn it around, Doc? Well, you and I know how to turn it around. 
But the yeah. thing about it, we can't do it. Nah, they don't want to hear it. You know what I'm saying? That. That's, and that's why I tell that's that's for my other channel, The 12 on YouTube. But we know what it is because when you, in order to fix this, you got to really know who you really are. Now, you can go by a label, what they didn't told us. Like, you heard me on the phone with my wife. Like, what should I check? Don't yeah. check the choices that they gave you. Check what you know you are because they're going to give you some choices and have you pick one. Mm -hmm. It's real simple, too. I mean, they put on their race like – the only one race is a human race. What's your nationality? Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? And, and I tell people, I, I laugh at that all the time. I, 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 a young lady, she was going to debate me. You know, I say, we can't debate. You know, you got to have some knowledge to debate. But I'm going to talk, I'm going to entertain you, right? She said, well, well, what do you call yourself, Travis? I said, no, nah, what do you call yourself? Well, I'm African-American. I said, you are? So you know what that means? Yeah. I said, what does it mean? She was, well, you know. I'm from Africa and I live in America. I said, listen, first of all, I said, you talk to any white person. They, first of all, they don't categorize, categorize themselves as white. If I ask, I, I said, I pointed to myself, I asked her, where are you from? Or what's your nationality? She's going to say, well, my dad's German and my mom's from Poland. Mm -hmm. Or she's going to say, you know, that my, my mom's Italian and my dad's Russian. Sure enough, I point, I say, come here real quick, we're doing an experiment. Where are you from? Or, well, I'm from New Jersey. Now, nah, now, nah. like, what's your family history? She goes, oh, well, German, Irish, and Polish. Three countries. Yeah. African dude over here. I said, excuse me, brother. Yeah, my brother. I said, what's your nationality? He said, oh, I'm Nigerian. My mom's from Lagos. He said, oh, but my uncle's from Congo. Or my dad's from Congo. I said, so you Congolese? In Nigerian, right? Yeah. He didn't say he was African. Yeah. I said, young lady, I said, Africa is a continent with 56 countries. I said, America is a continent with 33 countries. I said, which one are you? Oh. I said, and that got term was deemed in 1989 when Jesse Jackson did a press release. Mm -hmm. I said, so what were you before 89? You were black. Yeah, we are black. I said that's a color in a crayon box. I, I care a little bit more about myself. And I'm not this color either, bro. Yeah. No, I'm not. Nah. Yeah, that's black. Nah. Go ahead. Nah. Go ahead. Nah. But there's a color in a crayon yeah, box. Right. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So what were you before you were black? You were, I think we were Afro-Americans before we were black. Yeah. Then we were Negroes. Mm -hmm. And then before that. Colored. No, no, got color. Got to throw colors colored, in there. Negro, I mean, <laughs> Negroes colored. Well, they were in a, And then mm -hmm. we, we originally were niggas. And. But it really wasn't nig niggers, it was Nigers. Mm -hmm. Why was it Nigers? Because that's where they picked us up in West Africa by the Niger River, because that's where all the hustling and trading was. Mm -hmm. So when they got off the boat, well, who were those? Those are the Nigers. They, we called them, but them the good ones, them the smart, the hustlers. Mm -hmm. Then they went to Nick. You know, so yeah. I said, show me any other group of people whose name changed seven times in six, in, in two, three hundred years. They named, they whole. Lineage. Identity. Heritage yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you don't know what you are. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But it say your name will be a word. What does it say in Deuteronomy? You'll be a byword uh, by proverb, and proverb mm -hmm. amongst all people. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, until you really truly know who you are, it's, it's crazy. And, and my son's birthday is next week. His name is Judah Zachariah King. Judah Zachariah Israel, but King is a given name, right? So, and I and. Everything about his name was doctored. Never eat pork, never did. You know, he mm -hmm. dietary law, no pagan days, you know, yeah. most high feast day. Like, yeah. 
he's a true spiritual warrior and has understanding. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I took pride in knowing, let me try to get it right with my my children to understand who they are. He'll tell you my name is Judah, you know, and I'm a spiritual warrior. What's your name mean? Well, Zachariah was a priest and was a prophet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Judah was one, the the, the what they said, the uh, – the one that all his brothers worship out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Fourth son of Leah, my God, that so, power. So, yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's meaning behind that, and I think it's mean you know who you are and you're proud of it, man. You can you can only be successful. All praises to the most high, man. Great information. Now, T. King, now, before we wrap it up, man, any, any advice, because we have plenty, but any advice you give not only to young athletes coming up, young men or young women who want to be sports agents, or just any advice for any young royal, any young Hebrew man trying to, you know, maneuver their way through this through this world, man, and get to a place where you know, okay, this is where I want to be, and this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh, I think if I was talking to any young person, even talking to myself back, if I looked at over over life, what I learned, uh, it's a few few qualities that can can take you there. First and foremost. Most important thing is having a relation, a true relationship with God. So, and that doesn't mean run down to church. That doesn't mean simply, I, you know, I'm a 100% believer in the Bible. So, whatever version you get, cool, read it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't let what people tell you. Always do your research. So, that would be the first thing. Don't believe everything anybody says. Do your own research. But more importantly, hard work. Hard work and loyalty are two things that I tried to build my career off of. I think today's society, everything is so microwave, even you know, to last year with the PPP loans mm -hmm. and you know, uh, all the free unemployment money. Now they created this whole world where now they can't get people to go to work. Like, don't get caught up in that. Mm -hmm. And when we were coming up, Doc, it was, you got to go to college, you got to go to college, you got to go to college, which I agree, college was a great thing. I've got three daughters that are college graduates from Florida State, you know, all making six figures a year, so I'm really proud of that. But that was for them. College is not for everybody. Thanks. You're not going to ever get rich working for somebody. Mm -hmm. So if you have dreams and aspirations of being rich or wealthy, and providing generational wealth for your family, you need to if, always have a job, get an education, whether that's a formal education in university for your school, or if that's HVAC, if that's you know trucking, if that's beauty and cosmetics, get you a skill that can translate. And if it's anything that COVID should have showed us, you gotta have something that's COVID proof. Have you a business that's COVID-proof so if things shut down, you can still feed your family and not rely on the government. So, like, hard work, loyalty, and entrepreneurship is the thing I would tell people now. As a kid, start off. I got my kids, all my old sneakers. Clean them up, put them online. Y'all got a sneaker store. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whatever it is, find something that you can get with your kids on. Get them an LLC on. Get you an LLC. If you're a sports person now with the NIL, build you a brand. Get you a logo. Sell you some T-shirts. 
do something entrepreneurial so that when you get up in age, you don't have to rely on somebody coming in like that dude the other day who fired 900 people on the Zoom Yeah, call. I saw that, man. You understand yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? I promised myself, and I hadn't, I've never been fired. Now I'm a partner in a company, and I own a couple of companies, so I can't fire myself, but don't ever put yourself in a position where somebody can knock on your door, send you a Zoom or email, say, your service is no more needed, and you can't feed your family. You have to wait on an unemployment check. So, you know, loyalty, hard work, and entrepreneurship get you some form of business or something that you are passionate about or skill about and chase that. And you got to go feed yourself, so you got to go to work. So guess what? That means you, when you get off work, you got to put four, five, six more hours into you, into something that's going to eventually take you away from that if that's what your dream or passion is. All praises to the most high, man. man great, yes, great advice, man. I appreciate you coming through, my guy. Man, I appreciate you having me on, bro. You just keep doing what you're doing. Keep standing on that truth. Keep spreading the word, bro. Got to stay on this word, man. That's going to do it for another episode of the Doc Holiday Show, where we love to uplift black men, black women, black teen, black child, black royalty. Until next time, we out. What you cooking,